You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Howard. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name, of course, Connor Halley. I am your host. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. And before we get going here on the show, we've got to give a big thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings. Basketball season will not be around forever, so get in on all of the action now with DraftKings. The leader in one-day fantasy sports, DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes using the code word THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, assist means so much more with a DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Baseball fans, you may have missed out on a season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get on all the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players. So what are you waiting for? Head to the app now, download the DraftKings app now, and use the promo code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Now, I I hope that you played a little bit of DraftKings this past week because that would have been the only way for you to keep entertained. The Edmonton Oilers, of course, having the week off after that bad loss to the Calgary Flames on Saturday night. They have to think about that, stewing it for a long time, all with the hopes of playing the Vancouver Canucks on Friday night. But that all changed on Thursday when the league announced that that game will not be played. The Vancouver Canucks clearly not in game shape. They get a couple more days off, and for the Edmonton Oilers, a day off that they probably didn't want. I'm sure they were licking their chops thinking about playing the Vancouver Canucks. Connor McDavid probably would have had three goals, maybe six points total. Leon Dreisaitl might have scored four goals. But that's not going to happen, obviously, and uh, good on the NHL. I think the Vancouver Canucks, obviously, all that they've gone through, Give them a few more days off. It would have been a tough situation for them, and I think the NHL made the right move. But for the Edmonton Oilers, now you just have to direct your attention to the Winnipeg Jets, who you'll take on Saturday night. 8 o'clock puck drop out in Winnipeg. If you are looking for some pregame coverage, tune in to TSN 1260. Tom Gazzola, Matt Cassian, and myself will have you covered for the Edmonton Oilers. Looks like they'll be without Ryan Nugent Hopkins once again. You have to go back to that game against the Ottawa Senators. He takes a high hit, and since then he's been out of the lineup. Now the Oilers won't say what it is specifically. It's an upper body injury, but if you go back to that play and assume that's where the injury started, looks like it might be a concussion, and obviously the Edmonton Oilers not going to rush Nugent Hopkins back from that one. So we'll see what happens. We'll monitor the situation and see if he gets back into the lineup next week when the Oilers take on the Montreal Canadiens for a couple games, but no Nuge on a Saturday night. And that's not a good sign. Obviously, you go back to the game last Saturday against the Flames. The last time we saw this team play without Nuge, it didn't go quite well. I know there was other factors. I know that fatigue probably played a role. 
But the Oilers are a better team with Nugent Hopkins, so we send the best, and we hope he's ready to get back out on the ice as soon as possible. Tonight on the show, we are going to preview the game against the Winnipeg Jets. We're going to talk to Jim Toth. He covers the Winnipeg Jets out in Winnipeg. See what's going on with them. Uh, not too active at the trade deadline. They only make one move, bringing in a little bit of defensive depth. Can the Oilers take advantage of that? And they're going to see them a couple more times this season. And the way things are going right now, it looks like they'll probably meet again in the playoffs. So we'll get a good rundown on the Winnipeg Jets with Jim Toth. We're also going to talk to David Quadrelli. He is, of course, the managing editor of Canucks Army. And uh, we'll see what happened with the Vancouver Canucks. He's going to give us a nice rundown of the timeline, how things went. And, you know, should this have really been a surprise? I think that there was whisperings. There was talks. I know that uh, Ray Ferraro said on the Jason Gregor show that he didn't think this game would happen. Just didn't make sense to him, of course. A real big ask for these guys to be ready to play on Friday night. So uh, maybe not the biggest surprise, but we'll talk to David about that and get his thoughts on the whole situation for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, what happens with them going forward? They made some moves at the trade deadline, trading out Godet, as well as veteran defenseman Jordy Ben to the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, they did re-sign Tanner Pearson to a three-year contract extension. I know the Canucks fans on Twitter were quite funny with their reaction. So we'll get a good breakdown from David on that one. But we're going to start things off talking about those Edmonton Oilers with someone who covers the team and does it very well. Derek Van Deest of Post Media joins me now. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Derek Van Deest. Derek, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing? Good, doing really well, thank you. It's a gorgeous day today, so trying to enjoy it. Oh, good to hear, good to hear. And uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, uh, an unexpected day off on a Friday. They'll no longer be taking on the Vancouver Canucks after all they've gone through with the COVID protocol. Uh, the way it rolled out and all the things that happened this week, did you see this as more of a inevitability with the Canucks? Well, I didn't until JT Miller uh, had his media availability yesterday. I, I was in on that media availability, and I guess... He really uh, basically talked about how great the situation was and how tough it was, and, and the fact that the Canucks couldn't they couldn't they couldn't skate as a team until today, and, and today they had a closed practice. So it was one of those situations. I think a lot of people didn't realize how bad the situation was with with the Vancouver Canucks and and, and how how much they were hurting. And I and I, and I do believe that. It's a, it's a situation now where so many guys got infected with the virus and you don't really know how it's going to affect each and every player. So to, to maybe come back and expect these guys to play on one day's notice or two days notice after they, they become healthy, it is kind of dangerous and, and it is maybe a little tough for them to do. And, and you look at the Canucks schedule now, they have, I think it was 19 games in, in, in 30 days now, I guess it will be, depending on what happens on Saturday if they cancel that game. So it's going to be uh, tough sledding for the Vancouver Canucks now, and uh, you just you just worry about the players' health and safety because you don't know how it, how this virus affects you, uh, how it affects different players, how it affects their lung capacity and things like that. And I think that's what they were concerned with. And I know that I think until JT Miller said basically we don't I don't think we should be playing, and he was the one that didn't get infected. I think uh, that kind of opened up a lot of eyes uh, to to the league. So for the Edmonton Oilers, uh, now they haven't played since Saturday. They'll get a full week off before taking on the Winnipeg Jets Saturday night out in Winnipeg. Uh, do you think that this much time off is a good thing, or are you on the side where, you know, geez, you'd like to get some more games in that span? Well, I think they would like to get some more games in that span, and, and I, we've talked about this with Dave Tippett a couple of times. 
players at this time of year uh, really want to be in a rhythm. They want to be in a, in a good rhythm, and whether that's playing every other day or playing a couple of days, a couple of back-to-backs, they want to be playing, practicing, playing, practicing, and they want to get into that flow going into the playoffs. And, and it's tough to get into that flow when your schedule constantly gets disrupted. And, of course, the Oilers now, they had six days off um, going into Winnipeg. So, you know, that's a long time to kind of try and, 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 and be off and then try and get a rhythm. It's not about being in shape now. These guys are in game shape. They're mid-season form. It's about timing and, and things like that and, and being in games. And I think that's what's going to affect them the most. It's just the timing that you have when you're in a game. And, and like I said, players just want to be in that rotation. They want to be in that in that rhythm. And, and when whatever throws them off uh, is tough. And, and now it's a situation where you really, the owners really don't know their schedule. They're going to play in Winnipeg. You know, Montreal is going to come into town. But after that, they, they, it's kind of still up in the air with what's going to happen with the Canucks. And then they've loaded their back, their, the back half of their schedule uh, in the last week of the season. Now they're going to have to play three or four games in that week. And so it's going to be interesting to see. But I thought Connor McDavid's answer to that was really great today. And he was he just kind of took it in stride and said, hey, you know what? There's bigger problems out there for people with the virus right now. Uh, schedule, we shouldn't gripe too much about the scheduling because there's there's uh, people can't go to work, people can't go to school. So there's, there's other problems out there right now. Yeah, so looking at the schedule now uh, going into May, it looks like they'll have six games in their final ten days. Uh, I mean, some people might look at that as a negative, but a chance to really start to hit your stride, hopefully, and, uh, you know, 14 games left in the season. Uh, when you look at these final 14 games, uh, how many do you think they come away with a win, and how many do you think they need to lock down that uh, that spot to lock them into third place or even the second place? Well, I think right now second or third really doesn't really matter. It looks like they're going to play the Winnipeg Jets regardless. I think if they go 500, they'll be fine. I think really the only way they don't make the playoffs is if the bottom falls out, and I don't see that happening with this team. So I, I don't see them going on a, on a huge losing streak. I still think they're better than, than six of the teams in the division. I, I think they only struggle with with the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I do think that they're better than everyone else, and uh, I, I, I see that. I think they got some games against Vancouver. they got some games against Montreal, and they still have three big games against Winnipeg. So if they can kind of play those even, um, you know, maybe get three out of the six points in there, I think they'll be fine. I don't think the concern is making the playoffs right now i think the concern is just playing and being finding a, a you know playing well going into the playoffs i know you always want to solidify that playoff spot but i really don't see the, the flames making up the room that they have to to, to knock the owners out of the playoffs Derek Van Deese, the Post Media, joining us here on the Other Corner Podcast. So, Derek, 14 games left in the regular season. How many starts, if it was up to you, does Amico Koskinen get in that span? Uh, well, I think that's going to be up to Mike Smith. I really do, because I think that Mike Smith has established himself as a starting goaltender. And I think Dave Tippett will go to him and say, hey, how many starts do you want? How many starts do you need to, to feel fresh and, and refreshed and, and ready to go? And you look at the situation now with the Oilers, they've had a week off, and, and I think... Mike Smith probably gets 10 of those 14 starts. I, I really do. I really think he comes in here. And, and he seems to be a guy that the more he plays, the better he is. And he's in a really, really good spot right now. And he, you talk about a rhythm and you talk about being on the form. And he's that, he is that right now. And he's playing really well. So I really think it's, it's going to be up to him to, to, to see how he's feeling. But I wouldn't be surprised if he gets 10 of the 14. 
Uh, Derek, what did you think of the trade for Dmitry Kulikov, obviously giving up a fourth-round pick that could become a third-rounder if the Oilers do win a playoff series? How do you think he fits with this club? Well, I think what he does is he comes in and he kind of pushes everyone back to where they're supposed to be. I think where they were miss, they were missing a hole there on the left side. So he can come in and play on your, on your second pairing on the left side. So that pushes Chris Russell down a little bit. That pushes uh, uh, you know Jones down a little bit. That pushes kind of everyone down a little bit. Laguson down in, in the in the pecking order. So it kind of puts everyone back in the spots that they should be. And it's always tough when you're playing. Uh, a little higher than you should be because you're getting a bit more minutes and you're playing against tougher opposition. And I think he comes in, he's a veteran guy, he's a shutdown guy, um, and he's a guy that plays hard, tough minutes, and he's a guy that can really help you shut down some of those top lines. And if they're going to go up against Winnipeg, Winnipeg, I think, is a really good team. I think they probably have the three best lines in the league in the sense that there's not a lot of drop-off between their first line and their second line and their third line. So I think you need that. You need that strong physical defensive presence. And I think he's going to bring that. It's going to be interesting to see, though, because he's going to have to quarantine for a week and then he's going to have to practice for a few days and to see how quickly he can get up to speed. But if he can get up to speed, I think he's really going to help the Oilers defensively and he's going to put everyone back in those slots that they should be. Do you think he has an ideal partner? Um, well, it depends. If you want to play him with Larson as a shutdown pairing, I think I think that would work really well. That looks like the obvious pairing right there. Him and Larson, you put those guys out as a shutdown pair against maybe other teams' top lines, and and uh, and that might work out because I, I, you know, you want to play him in your top four, and 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 I think right now Larson is a top four defenseman, so you don't want to you don't want to break up the top pairing that you have. I think. Uh, Barry and and Nurse have played really well together, so you don't want to break up that pairing. So to me, it just seems like an obvious fit that he's going to play with Adam Larson, and, and they're going to have two pretty strong pairings. They're going to have a pairing that can provide some offense, and then the second pairing is going to be basically just a shutdown pairing because uh, Kulikov doesn't provide much offense at all, and neither does Adam Larson. So they'll be a strictly a shutdown pair. Now, going into the trade deadline, did you expect Ken Holland to make any more moves, or were you uh, expecting just kind of one and done? I was expecting one and done, and, and the problem with, with the way the Oilers are structured right now is that they just didn't have any cap space. And, and I know that you look at the situation where, yeah, they freed up $3 million in cap space, but that's still space that they need to bring people up from the, from the, the taxi squad. So if someone gets hurt, someone goes down in these next 14 games, and you, and you need to bring someone up from the taxi squad, then that's where that money comes from. And, and he talked about that, and it looked like uh, – Say the cuckoo might be ready to go, so you need that money to bring him up. So no, I didn't expect a lot of movement. Like if he could have got someone to, to trade for Neil, he would have done it. He could have got someone to trade for, I think even Cassian, he would have done it. But I don't think there was a lot of interest in the guys that he wanted to trade. I don't think there's a lot of interest out there in those guys. And so he really kind of was kind of painted in a corner, I think, in, in this deadline. I think it's going to be different next year when they do free up some cap space and they are able to take on some contracts. But I, I didn't expect much this year but just because there was, no, there was no room to wiggle, really, and there's no, no, no money to kind of make deals. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I think next year is the year that they become buyers, and you know whether it's free agency or the deadline, that's when they do so. Now, just looking ahead, uh, well, I should actually ask you about Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, what do you think uh, the diagnosis is for him, and do you think he returns Saturday night against the Jets? No, I don't think he'll be back Saturday. It looks like he might be uh, 
it looks like he had a setback. To me, I, they're not telling us what happened with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, but I, we do believe it's a concussion. He took a pretty high hit from Thomas Shabbat in that first game against the Senators last week. I think it came with like five minutes to go in the third period. He's coming across the blue line. Shabbat caught him after, uh, after Nugent Hopkins passed the puck. And it looked like his shoulder did kind of ride up and eventually catch him in the head. And he, that was the last shift he's played. So I do think it's a, it's a concussion of some sort or a hand injury. And he's been skating on his own for a while. And apparently yesterday he skated for 45 minutes and he went pretty hard. And today he wasn't feeling well. So that's not a good sign when you're having a concussion, when you're going all out and then the next day you don't feel well. That's usually a test to see how close you are to getting back and to getting ready. And that when Dave Tippett said that he didn't feel well today, so we kept him off the ice, that's not a good sign. They're not taking him on the trip to Winnipeg. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if he's ready for Montreal next week. But obviously with head injuries, you never know what the situation is. You could be come back right away or, or it could take some time. And I think with uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the owners will want to take their time because they want – uh, healthy, 100% Ryan Nugent-Hopkins when it comes to playoff time. So they've got the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday night. They also played them April 26th and the 28th, and then a likely playoff series as well. How do you like that matchup for the Oilers going up against the Jets, so, you know, obviously in the next three games, but also going into the playoffs? Well, I think I like the matchup with the Oilers because I think they they can... The Jets, like I said, they have three really good lines, but I, I don't like their back end per se. I think the Oilers could really exploit that defense, and I think that's one of the reasons why you look at games between the Oilers and the Jets, they're, they're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because I think they just have so much strength up front, both teams, and they're really weak on the back end. And, and I, I look at that, that team uh, in Winnipeg, and I've always liked that team. I've always thought they, they had real potential. But for whatever reason, they haven't been able to put it together. They weren't able to put it together last year. They weren't able to put it together the year before. But they do have the wild card in Connor Halibut. And when you have a goaltender, that's one the Vesna. And if he gets hot in the playoffs, you know, that's, that's going to be tough. But uh, saying that, the owners have the two best goal scorers in the world in, in McDavid and Dreisaitl, and the Jets haven't been able to slow them down. And I think that's uh, going to be the biggest issue right there is, is can the Jets find a way to, to slow them down? And, and I don't think they can. And then with the Oilers, they need depth to kind of beat the Jets. They can't do it with one line. They need the other two lines to play well because the Jets, they can keep coming at you with the depth that they have. And so it's going to be an interesting series. And tell you what, if the regular season is any indication the way those teams go back and forth and trade chances, that's going to be a pretty, pretty fun series to watch. Yeah, I'd definitely be looking forward to that one. And I, I asked you about Kulikov and where you thought he might fit uh, in the Oilers lineup. Now, let's just say we flash forward to Game 1. These two teams meet. Uh, you, you listed off you know, the depth that the Jets have. What do you think would be the ideal defensive pairings, uh, you know, one through three for the Oilers heading into the playoffs? Well, uh, I obviously would see the top pairing stay the same with Nurse and Barry. I, I think Kulikov and Larson would be the, the four. I, I do like the Chris Russell's experience. I think that that will really help. And he can play both sides. So I think that, that really helps him. But if he plays the, the left in the third pairing and then you have an Ethan Bear uh, on that third pairing as well, I think that would probably be the pairings to start. And then you have uh, Jones and Lagerson available if you need them. So I do think that would be the top six for the Oilers. And, and, and you look at how Bear is playing right now. He, he's really kind of picking up his game now. His game's starting to come back to what the, what it was last year. It's always tough for a rookie defenseman when you have a good year because people expect you to do it again next year. But you're more 
well known than you were in your rookie season. So I think he struggled a little bit because of that. He was getting more attention, and I think uh, people were kind of focusing him on a little bit more. But I think he's really starting to come into his own now, and I think uh, that that top six for the Oilers looks pretty strong, in my opinion. Derek, just one last question for you. I really appreciate you doing this and hopping on the podcast today. Uh, going into the offseason, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I know we, we talked about the injury problems, but is there a number and a term that you like him for a contract extension? Well, that's that's a good question, and I think it's going to be how valuable he, he is um, doing things that aren't offensive. And I know you look at those numbers right now and, and you think, okay, well, you know he's not having he's not a great offensive player. He'll get you maybe forty to fifty points here, but he does so many other things for the Oilers that that really kind of are value. He'll win faceoffs for you. He can play the wing. He can play center. Uh, he can he can kill penalties. He plays on your power play. So he does a lot of things for you. Now at this stage, I'm never a fan of giving a player more than a four year term, and I, I don't think uh, the Oilers should give Nugent Hopkins more than a four year term. They might sweeten something, give them five, but like I said, they have to get some contracts off the books first before they can offer them that. I think the problem is is that other teams would recognize his value and they may price the Oilers out of that market. If other teams have more money and they can offer them a six or seven year deal, um, then that could be trouble for the Edmonton Oilers because I don't think the Edmonton Oilers can afford to do that. I don't think the Oilers will overpay for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They know what he brings, um, but I think other teams might and that's the danger I think you have when you go into free agency with a player uh, is that other teams are allowed to make offers as well. And, and some teams can say, hey, look look at all the things that Ryan Nugent Hopkins does for us. He can play on our top line. Uh, we're going to offer him top line money, whereas the Oilers, obviously, they, they'll probably offer him second line money. Derek, thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it. Now go enjoy that weather. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Excellent stuff from Derek Van Deest, opposed to media, covering the Edmonton Oilers for a long time now. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Derek Van Deest. And, uh, yeah, for the Edmonton Oilers, I think the time is now. you got to start to figure things out. 14 games left on the schedule. Some tough matchups against the, the Canadians and the Jets. And those are the games where, you know, you're going to start to figure out what works and what doesn't. So let's see what happens for the Edmonton Oilers down the stretch here. Speaking of the Winnipeg Jets, that's the opponent Saturday night and likely a first-round matchup in the playoffs for the Oilers. So let's familiarize ourselves with that organization, with that team. Players you should know with a guy who's covered that team for a long time. Jim Toth joins me now. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Jim Toth Sports. Jim, thanks a lot for doing this today. Really appreciate it. How are you doing? Doing good, Connor. How are you, my man? Oh, I'm doing really good. And uh, for the Edmonton Oilers fans out there listening right now, of course, they they thought that the team would be in Vancouver on Friday night and have to, you know, immediately finish up the game, fly over Alberta, land in Winnipeg, and get set for a tough matchup with the Jets. And now that's not going to happen. The Oilers will be very well rested taking on a, a Winnipeg Jets team that's playing a lot of games as of late. Uh, since these two teams met back in mid-March, Oilers winning two straight, a uh, 2-1 victory and a 4-2 victory. Uh, since then, though, uh, safe to say probably a few players uh, getting a little bit more comfortable when it comes to Pierre-Luc Dubois, things like that. What's new with the Jets team? Well, what's new is that Captain Blake Wheeler is out and has been for this road trip that they're currently on. And what's also new is they didn't make a major move at the deadline. And a lot of fans are disappointed with that. But I think the price was a little bit too high um, for what he was looking to do. I I have no problem he was going to deal any other prospect than one of those three or four major ones. 
and the first round pick. But what was out there just didn't garner it. I think once the the Ekholms of the Worlds went off the market and there was no more contract coming back on somebody like the Savard, the price was just too high. So that's what's been going on with this team. No Captain Blake Wheeler. They've looked okay on this road trip. They looked really good as it wore on. And uh, that's been some of the debate with some Jets fans is Blake Wheeler hasn't had a very good season analytically, but I'll argue that I don't think he's been healthy at all this season. So a lot of talk is around how this team has looked since their captain went down and Andrew Kopp has moved into the top six. And then they're still trying to find a place for Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think, is what else is going on with this team. And there's no doubt they wanted to improve the decor, but they also think that Billy Hinola, who's getting a game against Toronto, I think they're going to spend the rest of this season, maybe even against Edmonton on Saturday, looking at some of these other pieces, like a Hinola, like a maybe a Sandberg before playoff time, and then go to war with, with the guys they got like that, including J- uh, Jory Ben, who's coming in from the Vancouver trade. And then, of course, if, if Blake Wheeler's healthy, he's skating here in Winnipeg while the team's on the road. Uh, he does have a concussion. Um, but if he can get healthy again and you put him back in there, and, and I'll argue again, I think Blake Wheeler's been injured all season long. He still has 32 points in 39 games. He's got 19 even strength points. Um, and, and I think that if he can get healthy, because he is having a down year from what we're familiar with with him, but I think it's because he has been injured. If he can get totally healthy come playoff time, I think the Jets are more than happy, although wanting to make a move on the blue line and not doing it uh, with what they have going into the playoffs. And, and we'll see come Saturday if they the draws back in the lineup when the Oilers are in town. So for Blake Wheeler, I mean, that that's a pretty big story. Obviously, he's been out for a little while now with the upper body injury, I think listed as indefinitely. I mean, you're out in Winnipeg. You've got these connections. Any whispers into when he might be back for the team? Yeah, I'm not sure. Like the latest I've heard, and I, uh, he was on the ice. Now, he wasn't going really hard, so it wasn't like he's ready to go tomorrow. Um, but as of a day or two ago when he was on the ice, he was just sort of, you know, skating around, taking some shots, taking some passes, firing some shots. But he hadn't really ramped up like some wind sprints on the ice or some line-the-line skating or anything like that. So I think they're going to be super cautious with him, especially if they pull off a win in Toronto and and come off this road trip 4-1. and They might rest him, you know, as long. I think knowing Blake Wheeler, he'll want, if he's going to go playoff time, he'll want to get a game or two in. But I also, like I said, I don't think he's just had this concussion as of recently, I think he's had some other issues, which has prevented him from skating. I saw some real, when, when this town was on him pretty hard about the lack of, of um, good season, good analytical numbers he was having, especially defensively, um, I saw some parts of his game, like he gave up on a back check and just reached at center ice. I've never seen Blake Wheeler do that. If there's one thing about Blake Wheeler, he goes all out all the time, every shift, all over the ice. And for him to sort of pull up lame a couple times about a month or two ago really told me that he's nursing something. Now, he was asked about that in the media, and he said, if I'm on the ice, I'm 100% healthy. Um, So he's not going to address that. But I really think part of his season is that he just hasn't been fully healthy and then got the concussion on top of it. But will other fans see him on Saturday night? I'm not sure, and I really don't think so. I I think they're going to take their time with this. Um, unless today and then maybe tomorrow he's he's doing some ramped up skating, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit longer before he gets back into the lineup. Uh, you mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois, a little bit of problem there, maybe fitting in with the new team. Uh, from your perspective, why hasn't it worked? And you know, are, are they putting him uh, with different players, trying to trying to find that connection? 
Yeah, and they have found some connections with him. And in fact, surprisingly, on the wing, like when that trade was made, anybody in this town who didn't want Patrick Laine traded, which there were a lot of people, said, well, if you're going to trade him, get that center, get that second line bonafide center going forward. I think what's wrong with Pierre-Luc Dubois is just what he's 22 years old and his game's not totally defined yet. He's totally not there. He's had some chemistry on a line or two in other games. He's sort of been MIA. And I don't fault that of him. I just think he's a guy trying to fit in with a new team, new system, and also just finding his own game. I think when that trade was made, a lot of people thought they were getting a Mark Shifley coming back because that's really what he'll probably end up being, a number one or number two center on this team. But I also understand and see in his game some, some weaknesses, some things that he's working on, um, and that just comes with being 22 years old. I mean, everybody knows how he left Columbus. Everybody remembers how he played against Toronto in the playoffs last year. But nobody remembers what he played like before that round against Toronto and what was going on in Columbus. And, and I think that that's what was going on. Very talented, good young centerman and going to be a number one center, I think, in this league eventually. Maybe on this team a number two because of there is a number one. But I just don't think his game's rounded out that. I think he's trying to find a role for himself. And I think the Jets are doing the same. Paul Maurice is putting him in different scenarios and different lines and had him on the wing a couple of weeks ago against some success against Vancouver. And then he's got him on the wing most recently again with Paul Stasny in the middle. So I think that's what the Jets are really doing. It's a clear, clear thought they're going to make the playoffs and they're moving him around. But why I think it just hasn't settled in where he's a point-of-game player or, or maybe even more is just because he's not there yet in his own individual game. But I don't see why he wouldn't get there eventually. And they're just trying to define his role in the meantime right now. Well, we might as well keep on going here with the the Winnipeg Jets centers. I think Oilers fans are going to be pretty familiar with him over the next couple of weeks here and then potentially into the playoffs as it looks like they all destined to meet in that first round. Uh, Adam Lowry, uh, the guy, you know, he's been great this year, a very talented player, really coming into his own. Do you think he signs a deal to stay with the Jets or what do you think happens there? Because if he hits free agency and he's on that market, there's going to be a lot of teams interested. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, and his dad's a coach this year, and his dad, you know, was asked to coach with the Jets a couple of years ago before he took the draft meeting coach in the WHL, and he turned it down because he's like, I just, I don't want to get involved in that. My son's still trying to establish himself. I appreciate the offer, but I, I don't want to sort of get in the middle of that. And then he agreed to this year because, you know, Adam Lowry's a bona fide, legitimate NHL player. He knows his role and he does it very well. A lot of people will point to him like they are the successful season Matthew Perot is having and just say, well, it's a contract year. And that old adage that contract years, players play better. I don't with Adam Lowry. I think Adam Lowry's having this year because he's finally healthy. He's had a back issue um, and I think a shoulder issue last year. But the back has been ongoing for about two years. And I think with the, the long layover because of the COVID pandemic and the long, uh, short playoff run in that play-in series against Calgary and then the long summer, I think he's finally healthy. And I always thought Adam Lowry would sort of be this kind of player. I didn't think he would score 60 points, but I thought he had a 35-40 point season in him. But he does everything else so well, and he knows his role. And I really think it's due to health. I know that people will point to the contract here, but and he couldn't pick a better year to be healthy and be having the season he's having. I'm not sure. Like, it's him and Andrew Kopp who are both having some really good breakout seasons with the Jets. I don't know if they can keep both of them, and I know that they can't keep Matthew Perot, especially at 4.0. 
I think they make a healthy run at Adam Lowry. I think they try to re-sign him, and it'll be more if Adam Lowry wants to stay or if he wants to go to the free agent market. Then I think they'll look at Kopp. I think they want to keep both players. I think they're going to do everything they can to do it. But if I saw a pecking order for the Jets, I think they would start with Lowry. But there's no doubt that Adam Lowry, and I've said this for years when, when fans get here and he, you know, he can't score, um, he's a good checking center, but he should be a fourth-line center and all this. I just know from talking to scouts and other people around the NHL that any team would love to get Adam Lowry. And he seems to be, Connor, one of those players that we've seen, you know, one of those 2 to $3 million players that if they go to market, all of a sudden get a 4 or $5 million offer in front of them. And it might not be the right number for him. It might be a little bit of an overpay, but we do know teams do that, and I think that's what he'll get. So I think the Jets are going to make a healthy run in keeping him. Now, whether he does or doesn't or whether how much of his dad coaching here. But I know he loves Winnipeg. Uh, I know every year he drives his old beat-up vehicle out from Calgary where he spends the off-season, and he loves being a Jet. I don't know if his dad's influence will be anything on him. I mean, it's, you know, it's your free agent year, and you've got to cash in when you can cash in. I, I know the Jets will, will make a healthy run at him. I just don't know if that's the number that he would want. But I, if I had to give out an order, I think it would be Lowry and then Cough they try to keep. Yeah, I can I can tell you uh, just from the text line here at 101260 that I work at, uh, there's a lot of people who would love to see him with the Oilers and with their calf space. Uh, I'm sure they'd be happy if they made an offer. Now let's just jump ahead to Saturday's game. Oilers-Jets, I believe uh, 8 o'clock puck drop, mountain time. Jets... Home ice advantage, they'll have the last uh, change here. When it comes to the McDavid line and then the dry side of line, who do you think they can expect to see? Well, you know, I, there's no doubt the Lowry um, line, and if we was back and caught on that line, I mean, and with Appleton, that, that line has shut down the McDavid line this season. But also that line has had to come in and shut them down because the Shifley wheeler Connor line just wasn't getting it done. And there was that one game here where McDavid and Dreisaitl – uh, especially McDavid ran ran shock over the Shifley line. So, you know, they brought in the Lowry line the next night. I thought Lowry, you know, I think they got some points, and if they kept Connor McDavid off the scoreboard, or at least as, as minimal as you can with him. Um, so, to be, to be honest, if, if there's no Blake Wheeler in the lineup, I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of do the same thing. They start with the Shifley, Andrew Kopp, uh, Nick Ehlers' line going up against that line, maybe. But I think his ace in the hole is always going back to that Lowry line and, and how Lowry can play Connor McDavid. And as you know, I don't have to tell you or any Oiler fan this, you're never going to totally stop McDavid. It's about limiting him. And I think of those two lines that have faced McDavid this year, Adam Lowry's line has done a much better job. Uh, Jim, we did talk about the uh, trade deadline for the Winnipeg Jets, obviously just making the one move. And I know people in Edmonton thought potentially the Jets would do a little bit more, try to help out that back end. But they do bring in Jordy Ben from the Vancouver Canucks. Where do you think he slots into the lineup, and what does he add to this team? Well, I think what he adds to the team is just the, the close to 500 games played and the veteran experience. Paul Maurice loves veteran experience. He's always gone and got a Matt Hendricks. This year it's Nate Thompson. They always love bringing in that experience. And I think come playoff time, it's invaluable. As I said earlier, Logan Stanley's had a really good year. Like, I think he surprised a lot of people because a lot of people thought being a first-round pick that he wasn't even going to play in the National Hockey League. But the Jets said when they drafted him, the quote from their head of scouting was, he's two years away from being two years away. 
And so this is now his fifth year. He blew out his knee after being drafted as well. So he's kind of right on pace with the Jets predicted him to be. I just don't think they thought he would be this good um, having grown into his body. So he's the surprise. And I think Jordy Ben comes in and takes Nathan Beaulieu's spot, where Nathan Beaulieu is in the lineup. At points of this season, he was on the top pairing with Josh Morrissey, but he's out for the year with shoulder surgery. So I think they wanted some insurance there. Now, whether Beaulieu or now Ben get into the lineup come playoff time is a different thing, but I think they wanted that insurance in case they get into a playoff series and a rookie like Stanley, as good as the season he's having, just can't handle the pace or the pressure of the playoffs. They have sort of that veteran there. But it wouldn't surprise me also if he doesn't get into a couple games down the stretch. And they just play whoever's playing better. It'll be a bottom-pairing guy. Billy Hinola's getting a game now. I think they're going to look at him too. And then I think they're going to set up their pairings to go into the playoffs. But with Hinola, Stanley, the young guys like that, they're sort of just looking at who can, I think, bring in that veteran experience in case one of the young players don't fare so well in the playoffs. Looking at the Jets roster, uh, Neil Pionk is a guy that I absolutely love watching. Uh, the way he plays Connor McDavid, I think, is absolutely textbook. Maybe, maybe the yeah. best I've seen this year from, you know, an opposition standpoint. Uh, what has he done to really just elevate his game this year? You know what? I think he's just mature. And I think that, you know, when he came in from the Rangers, the analytic community detested the trade. Um, and they, because the numbers were, and they were clear that for such a young player, they were overplaying him. They were playing him on the top pairing over 20 minutes a night. And I think it was his first full season in the NHL and he just got caved in. I think what's happened is, is he's come in and found a home for himself and, and just proven a lot of people wrong. Like his game is so solid, but he's sort of sneaky physical, eh? And I agree with you. I, I think he's played Connor McDavid excellent. And I think that that's sort of what maybe got McDavid a little bit off his game in the couple of matchups they had is you don't expect that from a guy his size. Um, and really, I think come playoff time last year against Calgary, the back end really had it taken to him physically. That third line from Calgary with Bennett and Dubé on it just hammered every defense pairing that the Jets had. And there wasn't much physicality or, or physical play return from the blue line. And Neil Pionk was one of those guys. Neil Pionk got crushed a lot in his own end in that play-in series and didn't move the puck fast enough. I think he learned from that. I think he spent the offseason learning when to be physical, when not, how to battle a little bit better. Um, but he's just really developed into what the Jets said, that even a year before they traded for him, Paul Maurice said, I think they were in New York the, the second game of the regular season. And he started the Shifley line, and this Neil Pionk was out there. And, and Maurice admits, he goes, I thought, oh, man, this kid's in for a long night against Shifley. And he held his own. And he said, I don't care if the analytical numbers are or anything else. When his name came up in the Truba trade, that was the one guy we wanted to get for Truba if we were going to deal him to the Rangers is because of what I saw in that game against him when what he did with Shifley. So it's no surprise to the Jets or the coaching staff that he's handled McDavid that, that well. Um, but, but I am a little bit surprised. Like he, he's a surprisingly physical player when he needs to be, but he's also very smart and he moves the puck well. So I agree with you. That's one of the matchups I'm looking forward to on Saturday night. Uh, Jim, really appreciate this. A couple more questions for you very quickly here. Uh, Connor Hellebuck, we obviously know how good he can be, but how has he been for the Jets in the last couple games here? Yeah, he's been really good. I mean, he had an off night um, a couple nights ago uh, where he just mishandled the puck twice <laughs> in his own net. Look, 
he is never he might have all the coaching schools in the off season once he's retired and everything else, but it won't be on how to handle the puck because um, he just struggles in that facet of the game. But other than that, he's been just as good as he's been with the Vezina Trophy year he had last season. He's built his team out in a couple of games. He arguably is their most valuable player. I would say he's the most valuable player. He's been the most consistent throughout this year. He, he's like every goalie. He's had one or two bad games. He's had one or two bad plays. But he's still got a streak of when he gives up a, a bad goal or a loss, he always bounces back with a victory. He's got a couple shutouts this year. Um, he, he just he's as good as he was last year, and I think he's working on getting better. So um, he's been a real key for the Jets this season. And people were arguing that he should be up for the Vezina and the Hart Trophy last year. There's no doubt this year he has been their best player this year on the ice, night in, night out. And Jim, just last question for you: If this is the playoff series we get, Oilers Jets, what do you think would come out of it? You know what? It's interesting because I think the Oilers are one of those teams that match up with the Jets well. I think the Jets could be, you know, Montreal. I think the Jets could be Toronto, even, and not a lot of people believe me in that, but I do. I think they can be Toronto come playoff time. But for whatever reason, the Oilers and the, the McDavid speed just seems to be, you know, kryptonite for the Jets. And, and you know as well as I do, even going back to last season, those last-second victories that Dreisaitl pulled out here in Winnipeg, with like eight seconds left, and, and I think the Oilers did it again this year. I think it would be a really good series. I think it would be a physical series. And to me, the, the question was whether it would be the goaltending for the Oilers. Uh, they've had some surprisingly good goaltending from Mike Smith this year. If that can happen for them in the playoffs, I think it would be a really good close series. If it doesn't, then I think the, the Jets would take that series, and I think they would take it in probably six games, maybe even five. But if the Oilers get some goaltending, these two teams match up well, and you don't want to go to overtime with the Oilers come playoff time. I know that. So, But then the Jets this year with their three forwards in OT, well, that won't happen in playoffs, of course. You never know. I just think it would be a really good matchup. I, I, I think that any one of the two playoff series that will happen in the North in the first round would be really good. But it looks like Oilers-Jets, and, and I think that's what even makes these, these battles they're going to have down the rest of the regular season interesting. But I, I think the key for the series would be if the Oilers could get good goaltending. Wow, absolutely. That's kind of the the question around here. How long will this Mike Smith hot streak last for? And if it continues to go on, they've got a pretty good you, chance. You've got but... a Winnipeg problem for so many years before Connor Hellebuck. They're like, we got this good team, but they we're going to get good goaltending. And now they have great goaltending. You see that happening with the Oilers. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's a yeah, copycat league in the NHL. Jim, thanks so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. And uh, if these two teams do meet in the first round of the playoffs, we'll have to get you back on to set that up. For sure. Anytime, Connor. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Jim Toth out in Winnipeg covering the Winnipeg Jets. Really appreciate him hopping on the podcast here today. And make sure you give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Jim Toth Sports. And for the Edmonton Oilers fans out there listening, I I hope there's a lot of you. And uh, make sure you get used to that Winnipeg Jets team. You're going to see them a couple more times here in the regular season. And the way it's looking right now, unless something changes with the Montreal Canadiens and, you know, they got on a bit of a run here, it looks like the Oilers will take the Jets on in that first round of the playoffs. And it's going to be a fun matchup. You know, the Winnipeg Jets are a team I speak very highly of. I think top to bottom when it comes to that forward group, it's very strong. But at the same time, I think the defensive group 
can be taken advantage of, and I think the Oilers have the skill set to do so, and maybe the Jets might have to rely on uh, all-world goaltender Connor Hellebeck to keep them in that, but it'll be a fun series no matter what, if it happens. Looking forward to it. We'll see what happens in a couple of weeks here, and uh, one more guest for you here before we wrap up on the show. We wanted to talk a little bit about the Vancouver Canucks because, of course, the situation is just crazy. COVID ran through their locker room, tore it apart, and uh, now causing more games to be postponed. Of course, the Oilers and Canucks were set to play on Friday night. That's not going to happen. We're going to talk to David Quadrelli from Canucks Army and get his thoughts on that and, and how it all happened. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Quadrelli. David, thanks so much for doing this today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Of course, we're taping this on Thursday, so the news just coming down that the Oilers-Canucks game not going to happen on Friday night. Uh, maybe something we, we could have expected with JT Miller speaking to the media. But uh, just from for your perspective, how did this all break down? Can you give us a timeline over the last few weeks of what happened? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to kind of start by saying that the Canucks have technically been off for three weeks, and it was only two weeks because of COVID, but the problem was... They had a week off, as every team in the North Division has had this year. They had their, like, kind of bye week, I was calling it. Um, you know, so they haven't played a game in three weeks, and during that bye week, it was, it was a time for them to kind of reset. They only practiced three times, and I believe they had six days off. Then the first practice back before they were about to start up their schedule again, there was a positive test. That positive test was Adam Gaudet. Now, Gaudet is pulled from practice. Practice continues. Then they go the next morning and have morning skate. Now, the important thing to remember here is all of those players took tests on Monday, and those tests hadn't come back yet. So they were playing without knowing if they were COVID positive. So they all stayed together, they took their morning skate, and then the tests started rolling in that there were more positives, and then all the players were pulled. Tests continued to be made throughout the week, and then eventually it skyrockets and you have 25 positive cases and the thing about it is it's the variant that they're dealing with right they're not sure exactly which one but the one right now that's really hitting bc in the lower mainland very hard is the brazil variant and they they say that one is two and a half times more uh transmissible and they're not sure but they think it might affect young people more so you know when you hear quinn hughes is on an iv bag and he needs iv treatment you know that, that kind of checks out so it, it, that's kind of how it all started was just one player got it and then the, the league didn't step in tell them not to have morning skate they told them to go ahead and that was the result so we had uh, Matt Sakaris on the program with Jason Greger earlier on this week and uh, he talked about you know p- potentially that the league was a little bit upset with the Canucks with how it was all handled and you know there might not be too much pity but I mean did, were the Canucks at fault at all here with how the situation was handled could it have been avoided it's tough to say because the Gretz don't really know how they got it, but they weren't breaking any rules, right? Like, that's the important thing to remember here. The Gretz were not breaking any rules when they were here and when they got uh, first infected. They were following all the provincial guidelines. Now, those provincial guidelines changed very shortly after. I think they believe that the Gretz got it at a restaurant when they were inside of a restaurant. Um but now we're not allowed in-person dining or in, in-house dining. You have to eat on a patio. Uh, those are the new rules in BC, but those didn't come out till after the Canucks had tested positive. So at the time, they were following guidelines. But listen, 
our cases are very high right now. They're the highest they have been through the pandemic, and they were the highest they had been through the pandemic uh, when the gutettes were first infected. So it, it's tough to say if it could be avoided because it was just they were following all the rules and the numbers were so high, like I'm talking over a thousand cases a day, that it was it was almost bound to happen. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know at that time with it going around like that and. Restaurants still being open. Obviously, people are going to live their lives. Uh, unfortunate the, the way it worked out and how it all happened. Uh, now, uh, Gadet obviously gets traded to the Chicago Blackhawks for Matthew Highmore on trade deadline day. Some people around here, there was you know talks that maybe this may have played a role in that trade. You think there's any truth to that? I don't. I just I've heard from multiple sources that I've checked with that it didn't. I, I know some people are reporting that it, it, it did and players were upset. I haven't heard anything like that. Uh, I don't doubt that maybe some players were upset, but I also highly doubt that that, was, uh, that, that played into the decision. I think they were shopping Godet for a while, and that was just kind of the writing was on the wall, and maybe that was the, the last straw from a management perspective, sure, but I really don't think that that played much, much, uh, much of a factor into it. David Cordelli joining me here on the Other Connor podcast discussing the Vancouver Canucks. So, uh, David, obviously the game over the weekend, uh, the Friday night game against the Oilers, not going to happen. Has there been any talks about when potentially it could get going for the Vancouver Canucks? I know uh, we've had Jason Strudwick on our show here, a uh, former member of the Canucks, actually, and he said like you wouldn't believe how much improvement two practices could do for a team. How long do you think it will be before we see them out there again? I think they're going to be playing Sunday night and Monday night. I think they're going to open with the back-to-back against the Leafs. I think that is kind of what it looks like the league is going for here. Um, and whether or not that's enough time, I'm going to want to talk to some players because I honestly don't know. Um, what I do know is JT Miller was very, very against coming back after just one practice. So having that extra time, having those two days is going to be huge again. JT even said there's still guys who are struggling to get up the stairs and they're out of breath when they walk up a flight of stairs and then they're going to be asked to play a game on Friday. It just wasn't going to happen. So I'm not sure how much it will change things to be playing on Sunday night, but I do know that the extra two days can't hurt them. Yeah, I mean, and, and imagine being out of breath after a 30-second shift, and then you've got Connor McDavid early on dry settle coming down on you. Uh, probably not ideal circumstances. Uh, the Canucks at the trade deadline also uh, sending away Jordy Ben to the Winnipeg Jets. They do bring in Madison Bowie from the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, what did you make of the team's trade deadline? And it, you know, the three deals were you expecting more or less? I wasn't expecting Adam Gaudet to get traded, to be honest with you, because. The thing is, is it's just something that people consistently bring up with this management regime is that they have a mentality of buy high, sell low. And that's the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. Now, Godet's value was high when he still had a ton of potential and when he was coming off the Hobie Baker win. Now, obviously, the Canucks were hoping he'd pan out a little better than he did, but in my opinion, there's just no real excuse for why you're not willing to wait for Adam Gaudet, who's only in his second NHL season, when you've given the longest of leashes to Jake Vertanen. You've paid up for Jake Vertanen. Despite being told not to by many in this market, they went for it, and now it's really not paying off for them. So to see that move with Vertanen and then them have such short patience with Gaudet, it just doesn't make a ton of sense, and especially when you're trading for somebody who is never going to be a top six player in the league and maybe won't even be a regular NHLer, and you're trading away a guy with 
real top six potential in Gaudet. Maybe he's not a center. That's what I was starting to say toward the end of his tenure here, is maybe he should be playing the wing. And the, the Canucks had him there at various times this year. He just hasn't really clicked on the defensive side of the game, but he is a talented scorer. Like, he has a great shot, and he has his natural offensive instincts. And he was a little snake-bitten this year, um, which is something J.T. Miller said yesterday when he was talking, but, like, if you look at analytics, this is this guy generated the most expected individual scoring chances. He was in the top five of the league, um, and that was just, you know, that was that was that's something you can't really just look past. And you have to kind of look a little deeper and say, okay, why wasn't this going in the back of the net? And really, a, a lot of it came down to just bad luck. And I, I think Garnett still has a lot of upside. Um, he has real potential, and he has more potential than Matthew Highmore. So, I mean, when I look at that move, it just kind of seemed like not the best thing for the Canucks from a process standpoint, I suppose. Um, and then, yeah, picking up Madison Madison Bowie or Bowie, um, it, it works. It worked out for them, right? Like, they have that defenseman to protect in the expansion draft. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jim Benning loves his reclamation products, projects, and... I think Madison Bowie is kind of a low-risk one that if he pays off, it will pay dividends for this club. Now, what did you think of the Tanner Pearson contract extension? Yeah, I I mean, I was vocal against it right away. Um, I, I didn't think that Tanner Pearson's contract had to be that. And, you know, when, when Jim Benning comes out and says, you know, he would have got this on the open market, it's just, okay, well, why are you bidding against yourself? Like, if he's re-signing with the club you would think that he would get less than what he's actually going to get in free agency. And I think the number that they actually settled on is probably what he would have got as the highest bidder in free agency, especially in an offseason where teams are still a little bit cash-strapped and they're trying to navigate all their finances. They've got the expansion draft to think about. There's a lot to lot that played into it, but I think it was one year too many, personally, and I also think it was one million too many as well. So... I, I I don't really like the deal. I, I don't think it's going to age well. I mean, in the first year of the deal, maybe it'll pay off. But listen, Vasily Podkolzin is coming here, and he's going to bump Pearson right out of the top six. Like I, I honestly think by opening night next year, you're going to see a second line on the Canucks of Podkolzin, Horvat, and Hoaglander. I think Pearson is going to be right off that line. So, I mean, that that makes the contract age poorly right away. And I just. Honestly, I just don't think it was a great signing for the club to make right now. Yeah, it'll be a nice uh, second line there for the Canucks. Though. I'm sure Oilers fans probably don't love that, but uh, what can you do? Uh, David, really appreciate your time today. Just want to ask you one more question, and, and just from your perspective, when you look at this Edmonton Oilers team, well, what do you see? And you know, if the standings hold up and they do take on the Jets in that playoff series, uh, who do you think comes out of it? Oh, man. I, I think I'm giving the edge to Edmonton. I'm not just saying that because I'm on an Oilers podcast, <laughs> but... Honestly, like I like their team. Uh, I would have liked to see them do more at the deadline. I've got to be honest with you. Uh, I don't really think Kulikov pushes them over uh, over the hump and really gears them up for a strong playoff push. So I, I would have liked to see them add more at the deadline. But I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not hating the team that has Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl heading into a playoff series. Personally, <laughs> you know what? And uh, I think you have the same opinion as a lot of Oilers fans. I've had a lot of people tell me they wish they would have done more. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the side that I think it happens next year. A little more cap space, a little more opportunity. But you're definitely not wrong there, uh, David. Thanks so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. 
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Great stuff from David Quadrelli. He's the managing editor with Canucks Army. Give him a follow on Twitter at Quadrelli. And that is going to wrap it up for us here on the other Connor podcast. And big thank you to all of our guests today. Of course, David Quadrelli, Canucks Army, Jim Toth covering the Winnipeg Jets out in Winnipeg, and Derek Van Deest covering the Oilers for Post Media. Glad they could all hop on the podcast here today. And uh, for the Edmonton Oilers fans who waited so long for a game, on Saturday, it will finally happen. The Oilers taking on the Winnipeg Jets. Puck drop, 8 o'clock. Our pregame coverage on TSN 1260 with Gazola Casting and myself gets going at 6.30 if you're interested in tuning in to that one. For the Edmonton Oilers, after that, they've got a couple games against the Montreal Canadiens Monday night at 7 and then Wednesday night, an 8 o'clock start. So that's how the next few games look for the Edmonton Oilers. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, like I said earlier on in the podcast, unlikely to play Saturday night, but who knows what happens. Maybe Monday, maybe Wednesday. The Oilers definitely looking forward to having him back in the lineup. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. A reminder, sign up with your app kings, use promo code THPN, and give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. Thanks again, guys. We'll talk to you next time here on the Other Connor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.